Hi, I'm Amanda. And I'm Kim. And this is The Department, a podcast about trends and how they define the world around us. Welcome to episode 80 here at the department. We managed to make it all the way there. Wow. And Amanda, <laughs> not not only did we make it to episode 80, but it is the time of year, your favorite time of year, festival season. Oh, man. <laughs> uh, I mean, when you work in buying, now not every buying job I've had, for sure, because different customers integrate into the festival lifestyle more than others but it's it's like a stressful time it's like at nasty gal we were sort of like it's our christmas mm-hmm. you know where it was like oh we can't get enough fringe out into those out into the shelves you know it's so ridiculous <laughs> oh. right right how much faux suede can we prepare oh, don't get me started anyway. which also doesn't make any sense because it's they're usually in the deserts and it's so hot I mean, I will tell you, I know today we're going to talk about festival fashion. You know, I've been looking at it even for this round. And I'm like, are those people in a different place than what I know of as the desert? (laughs) Because (laughs) I know it's hot there and I know there's probably not a lot of shade. And I mean, you see people already getting sunburned and they're wearing so much heavy looking clothing that I just, it seems like you should be wearing some like natural drapey, like flowy garments, right? Yeah. Anyway, (laughs) but not, that's not, that's not what it is. I'm sure that's what we're going to talk about today. (laughs) Well, and and that's, and that's true. And we're actually really, really excited to bring you this um, little nugget of a podcast. We've been um, talking about it for some time and um, I finally put in the elbow grease and prepared this <laughs> this um, podcast. So we're going to be bringing you all the drama, all the romance, and all of the secret disdain of festival trends. And that's going to be particularly some of the trends that kind of reside inside the modern festival experience and, you know, where they came from, all that stuff. Um, but before I get into it, you know, follow, rate, and review on your preferred streaming service. You can also find us online at thedepartment.world. For our show notes, we got, always have image references. We always have links, um, and you can also find the link to our Instagram right there, which is you know um, always a, a fun time. And we're also taking tips, uh, monetary tips. So if you got a few bucks, you can donate them. <laughs> I to just us. thought you meant advice, and I was like, <laughs> we are actually not taking advice at all. Uh, so just like Please save don't. save your advice for someone else. But yes, financial tips will definitely take not. Yes. Not advice about financial things. What we mean is money tips. There you go. Cash yeah. tips. Yeah. We got a couple bucks. Um, there's just a link in our Instagram. So you just, you know, always nice to have. And thank you so much for any anyone who has actually contributed to the tip jar. Yes. Thank you. <laughs> um, and before we also jump in, I want to report on some updates that I have rec- noticed as I've been going through, you know, a lot of this research on aesthetics. Um, and as predicted, a lot of the main aesthetics from the past couple of years are essentially breeding with other trends and they're making <laughs> <Uh-oh>. hybrids. <laughs> 
And I think you're going to see a lot more of the folks kind of get more experimental for their festival looks, you know, as they maybe um, dive into the closet and not have to reinvent the wheel by necessarily shopping um, and kind of pulling together some really interesting variations of main trends. Um, And these are a few that I did notice. Um, A really big one, I mean, I'm sure if anyone has a finger on the pulse of fashion right now, it's the Coastal Cowgirl. Wow. Uh That is like, I mean, that was when we were talking about like, um, um, not, it was like dark Martha Stewart or something. Yes, it was, it was coastal sleaze. Coastal sleaze. There you go. Thank you. Dark Martha Stewart. That's a different one. Yeah. Yeah, Coastal sleaze. I mean, this is like Mm -hmm. the interpretation, the combination that I never Mm -hmm. saw coming, but should have. And it's great because you don't have to buy new clothes. You just mix it up. And it's, you know, anything Western inspired right now is just extremely hot. It's Um, fascinating. It is. It's so fascinating. It's been such a long time. And so this really is an iteration, practically a year after the coastal grandmother exploded onto the scene. So it does make a lot of sense. Um, So it's just basically a bit more relaxed and breezy with with uh, cowboy boots. And if you're really adventurous, a rimmed hat. It seems like we are on back on it like a hat. a wave, you know. Oof, what a relief they, for me. I know. I know. Um, Amanda is a hat person. So this <laughs> I, I love a hat. If you see me without a hat, it means that I've I have a headache. You. It means I have a headache. It's oh. the only way. I didn't wear a hat to work the other day, and everybody was like concerned that maybe I needed to go to the emergency room. And I was like, guys, it's just a headache. It's okay. It's just like I don't need because you know my hats. They have a lot of weight to them. <laughs> yeah. Yes, they they do. A lot yeah. of drama. A lot of drama. <laughs> Mm-hmm. <laughs> yeah. Well, what a relief that I wasn't chuggy, or maybe I was for a few minutes there, but I'm unchugifying as we speak. <laughs> uh, the well, this one also kind of goes alongside with um, with this. This is the Western Barbie. Oh shit! That's you, very big. You know, and, I yep. don't want to brag, but I was Western Barbie for Halloween in second grade. Real Whoa. trendsetter here. Yeah. Wow. Yeah. The, the predecessor <laughs> to this. <laughs> Festivalized version of it the started, sexy. It started back in the eighties, everyone. Okay. <laughs> <laughs> well, Google Trends has spoken, and uh, pink go- cowgirl outfit is actually the most searched Coachella outfit of the year, according what? to InStyle. Now, I did do my own research. I typed in pink cowgirl outfit. I just did it too, and I don't know it's, how I feel. It's like a lot of kids costumes and like sexy stuff. I'm yeah, like, yeah. Like very dolls kill. In fact, here's one mm-hmm. called candy blinded baddie sequin jacket that is, I mean, it's, <laughs> yeah, it has a matching skirt and it's fringy and cropped. And yeah, anyway. It's a full costume. I mean, it's a full on costume. I mean, listen, this makes, I mean, this is could be a way of life for someone, you know? Mm-hmm. And I support it, but you're right. All that came up was really sexy stuff or children's clothing. Um, And yeah, you know, I, I'm just, you're all probably going to be surprised to hear this, but my second grade costume was like not very sexy. <laughs> I hope it wasn't. <laughs> I hope it wasn't either. <laughs> but you've been wearing hats since you were in second grade. 
Oh, yeah. I've like, you know, actually, I started my hat wearing started with uh, bonnets um, and uh, moved into hats as I outgrew bonnets. So like like a holly hobby button. Yeah. You know, because I had cancer when I was a kid, I didn't have very much hair for uh, several years. And so my grandma would get me these outfits made. I mean, get ready for this surprise by an Amish lady who sewed clothes and sold them at the farmer's market, which is the most cottage core wardrobe you can have i think um and so she would get them like custom made for me to have like the matching bonnet dress outfit situation um sometimes also like taking it to the next level with like weird bloomers or something and wow. so all of my Wait, this was this was like day clothes or was this like, this like, is like a costume that's like day clothes i mean all of my like ch- you know children photos photos of me as a child i'm wearing this is ensemble, and I look fresh. I mean, yeah. you know, um, but so yeah, I think that I I feel just very comfortable with headwear. Um, although you know, I think we've mentioned this here on the pod before, and if we haven't, you know, all this festival talk really reminds me of this. That there was definitely a period where I alternated between a really large wide brimmed hat and, of course, one of those headbands that goes across your forehead. <laughs> Like, I would go back and forth. Oh. Uh, haven't done that in a while. But, yeah, I, th- I, th- I don't know. Headwear is my safe space. Good for you. Yeah. You know? I like that. I like that. I, I don't really like headwear because I, I get it's too fussy for me. And, it you is know, fussy. Like, There's adjustments. Off. Yeah. And you, yeah. you learned, like, I would not, it's not an overstatement to say that I hate the wind. That the wind <laughs> makes me angry. <laughs> I always wondered. I was like, "How are you getting around?" Oh, the wind? getting getting angry. In fact, I had a bonding <laughs> moment with a coworker a few weeks ago. We went to this vintage market, and it was really windy. And I said, "You know, I I don't know how to explain it, but like the wind makes me irrationally angry." <laughs> and she said, "Me too." And you know, there's a name for it. And then she looked it up, but I don't remember what the name was. But it made me feel a lot better that it wasn't just me. Anyway. Raise your hand if the wind makes you irrationally <laughs> angry. <laughs> I don't love it, but I think the fact that my um, my apparel and my accessories stay on my body, it it, it might remove the unnecessary, might, you know irrational. You know that mm-hmm. song from, I know you know it, from Dirty Dancing, She's Like the Wind? Yes. I mean, like, if someone wrote that song for me, I would be even more angry. <laughs> why are you comparing me to this monster known as the wind? <laughs> Rude. Oh, I feel like I learn something every day about you. <laughs> <laughs> anyway, I mean, I'm ex- I am in- this Western Barbie thing is interesting to me, Kim, because the Barbie movie hasn't even come out yet. I think it's coming out in like July. Does that sound right to you? It's yeah, it's a summer movie. Can't wait. But it's like one, no, two trailers have come out, and some like leaked images from the set, and it is having this just like massive aesthetic impact already yeah. already yeah that actually brings me right into the the next hybrid trend that i've um i kind of stumbled on which is called barbie baddie <laughs> this is another doll's kill specialty here it, it, it is it is you know it's baddie which was like that um it, it essentially swaps pink for black yeah um in that kind of 90s inspired tough girl look um, which I think will become even more uh, integral to the summer fashion trends because black, as we know, is really hard to wear during the summer, even though we do all the time. We do. We do it. Mm-hmm. We're brave. 
We we face the wind. <laughs> we wear We're all black. black. We wear yeah. We wear layers. I mean, <laughs> Dustin wears jeans to the beach. You know, we're right. many of us. Mm. We we are brave, and we we stand in defiance of nature. <laughs> the largest hat possible. <laughs> the largest hat possible. <laughs> you know, actually, like the largest hat possible was a challenge that I gave myself when I moved to LA. Before that, I was just wearing a pretty big hat, but I never had really thought like, oh, I want to make sure that mine is the largest. And I remember this evening being in line at the theater downtown that's in the Ace Hotel. So I was in line outside with a friend. We were waiting to go in and see a Kenneth Anger film. And everybody had a big hat because it's L.A. in like 2015. Right. right? The cycle was like really into hats. And I realized, like, part of me was like, wow, I really am finally like with my people. Because, you know, when I lived in Portland, people would laugh at my big hats. But now I'm like, here I fit in. But then it... After that moment of like, ah, here I am. I found where I belong was over. Then I was like, next time I'm going to have the biggest hat. And that's just kind of where it went from there. (laughs) I love that. Well, okay. So I'm going to get into it. And it is no secret that we have both worked in the fashion industry. Yes. And, you know, Amanda, I do have to admit kind of what you were talking about earlier. um, I don't have. I didn't have a lot of experience considering that kind of of a mindset of the festival goer until mm-hmm. I hit Nasty Gal. And wow. it was such a big deal. I mean, half our office would take off that week. Yeah. Remember? And it was it would be like all of us like people who don't like porta potties left in the office. <laughs> <laughs> Like me, you, Sherry, a couple other people. Um, because like Coachella to me sounds like a nightmare, right? But I couldn't believe how big it was. Like at Urban, yes, we bought for festival, sort of, but we never explicitly said festival. And I don't even think we ever said Coachella. Interesting. Even though our customers went to that, like, and we definitely bought for that stuff, we had been buying for festival for a really long time before Coachella was what it was because we were so deeply into South by Southwest which happens in March as well and is has been going on much longer than Coachella. And, and you know, for the first, I don't know, like 10, 15 years of this century, uh, we had a whole showcase of bands at our store here. Like we had a backyard space where there'd be beer and bands and, you know, it was, it was like a part of it. And so we definitely would, you know, sell, I don't know, we would sell a little bit of clothing for that person, right? Also, all this festival stuff would kind of coincide, overlap with spring break. So, it was sort of like we were speaking to this like spring break thing more than anything else. But we definitely talked about South by a lot. And then all of a sudden it was just like at Nasty Gout, it was like Coachella, Coachella, Coachella. Yeah, I, I think it was because we were so localized. I think so. And it was at this point, it's like we're getting into peak influencer era. Right. And, it, you know, you got Kim Kardashian out at Coachella wearing God knows what. Exactly. And, like suddenly we have Coachella as this festival that is so close to L.A. You get all of the like the coolest stars there. And then you have influencer culture and brands getting involved. And it's like Coachella is unlike any other festival in that way. And I'm not romanticizing it. I'm just saying like because <laughs> I, I don't have any romantic feelings about it. But it. It kind of, I don't know. I'm not surprised that Festival blew up as Coachella blew up because it was in the right place at the right time. Right, exactly. 
yeah, so um, Coachella definitely was the North Star, but we also had EDM festivals and everything mm. in between. Oh, I yeah. don't think, I mean, South by was, we talked about it a little bit, but it was not, it wasn't necessarily our girl. I think our girl wasn't wasn't particular. I think they were going for the scene more than they were going for the music. You know, that's what I was going to say, and I didn't want to minimize people's interests, but I, I will say this, that Coachella itself is less about the music and more about the scene. I mean, look at the lineup. It's like yeah. all over the place, right? Whereas, you know, like something like South By or some of the more niche festivals are really focused on like that at that genre of music, that lifestyle. Um, EDM, I think, also. But we just had a lot of Nasty Gal customers that went to the EDM festivals as well. Um, the only festival that sounds worse to me than Coachella. Exactly. I, agree. I absolutely. <laughs> I think it's in like August where it's even hotter. Oh, so, so yeah. gross, gross, <laughs> gross. I just get a headache thinking about it. And, you know, kind of how, how Amanda actually mentioned, you know, for for those of you that don't live in L.A., the city just, like, empties out on Coachella It's weekends. crazy. You don't have to make dinner reservations. Yeah. You, you go, go to the bar and no one's there. Yeah, it's, it's weird. It's blissful. <laughs> it is blissful. <laughs> it, is a, it is a time for celebration, reverie. Um, it's just, it's really lovely. Like, you know, and, and of course, it, it, it does empty out a lot of, like, the sort of younger generations as well. So just... You know, you just, you just you do feel like you can, you're just kind of walking on um, on clouds during <laughs> during, during chill, wow. chill weekend. Tell me you're an introvert without telling me exactly. you're an introvert. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> yes, um, and so one of the reasons I actually did want to do this podcast, you know, I, occasionally I'm like, all right, what what what's trending right now? So I'll go to po- Pinterest trends. Not that Pinterest is like the defining um, research element, but they give you a lot of really interesting um, kind of uh, a trend and data research that, that just is all about, you know, what's going on in the collective mindsets Mm -hmm. um, in a very visual way too. And festival fashion, just, it practically bolted up overnight, reaching absolute critical mass right around the time I was looking. And so Pinterest kind of shows these little graphs um, of interest. And up until March 15th, Folks were literally just going about their business, barely <laughs> thinking about festival and the festival look. And then by March 21st, it was the hottest search term, right sandwich in between spring nails and spring meals. <laughs> <laughs> spring meals? Uh-huh, exactly. People are really getting into the spring food. Uh, I mean, that really also does speak to who is on Pinterest. <laughs> but... But, you know, that's beside the point. So um, it won't be shocking, but 40% of the people that are searching for, like, their fest- their fashion festival look are between 25 and 34. And 75% okay. are female, which, of course, may also speak to the Pinterest demographics. But, you know, this is what they've been able to give us. Mm-hmm. Um, and then other iterations of trending search uh, around that same kind of uh, – uh, overarching umbrella term of festival fashion is baddie festival outfits um, and different iterations of rave looks, including casual <laughs> rave outfit, which I think wait, also wait, yes, casual rave outfit. Yes. what the heck is that? I don't know. You gotta you gotta go on Pinterest because it's a <laughs> it's a hot tr- it's a hot trend. Um, but it definitely speaks to the influence of the '90s and this increase of even just the word rave. 
like when was when was the last time like raves as something that people really really were um searching was that popular because it was definitely was not like a millennial thing because that was you know the 90s for us i mean i would say yeah like mid to late 90s i remember one of my first jobs was at a bookstore at a mall I mean, I was like 16 and one of my coworkers was at least 19 and she was always going to raves in Philadelphia and Baltimore. And she was always talking about all the E she was taking. And of course, I thought I was like, oh, my God, I can't wait till I'm grown up and go to raves (laughs) and, and take lots of drugs. And I did go to a rave in like, I don't know, like 2000. I think the scene was already starting to peak, although it was still pretty big in Chicago. And can I just tell you, not fun. I'm not surprised. Yeah. <laughs> of course, you're talking to people that just, this is just not, we, I mean, we, we like to couch. Yeah, I'm just like, I don't like crowds. I hate yeah. outdoor bathrooms. I have a lot of anxiety about waiting La- in yeah. for bathrooms. I hate, I hate that too. I mean, it, it gives me absolute anxiety. Also, loud noises. Yeah, it's just, <laughs> it, it's just like all like, great. Uh, sounds great, right? Um, what is, un- you know, maybe makes this a little unfortunate is that I am married to a professional musician. Mm-hmm. And so I do go to more shows than I am comfortable with sometimes. <laughs> because I'm like, okay, well, now that we've been out for four hours at a venue, and I've heard all this music, which was great. I need to go home and have like 12 hours of silence and space yes, exactly. to decompress. But I, I'll tell you, like, I think it's only since the pandemic that I like really allowed myself to admit that about me myself, that like, sometimes I just need quiet and, and solitude. Um, and I, I guess part of me had thought, well, probably a lot of people are figuring that out uh, during the pandemic and festivals aren't going to be as popular when things get back to so-called normal. But here we are, we're talking about festival. Yeah, it's bounced back. People are getting their outfits. Now, have you been to a festival? I mean, I used to go to South By every year. But that's a good festival for people like us because it's inside, right? There's real bathrooms in most situations. I mean, it's a lot different now than it used to be. But, you know, in the odds... And even the early oddies, you could buy a wristband for like a hundred bucks and see a million bands in one week, you know, by also being like at a bar and drinking and eating and like not being out in the sun. And you could like it was it's in the city. So it's not like in a big field or something like that. And my friend Raina and I would always go and we would get up really early, plan our whole day, see shows all day, all night, somehow see the last band end at two go home and get back up at like eight o'clock and do it all again i don't know how i think we were like moderately drunk the entire week to get through it but like i loved that but the thought of going to like a festival that's in a big ass field yeah right i just i I, you you can't get away from you have to be there i can't yeah have you have you ever gone to one I've been to one festival. It was the uh, Tibetan Freedom Concert. Oh, wow. Okay. Mm-hmm. That okay. ages me. Big arena kind of situation, though. Well, it, no, it was in a field. Ugh. Were there mosquitoes? That's the other thing. Are there mosquitoes? You, you know, it wasn't so bad because it was the, it was spring, but okay. it was a hot spring day. I remember it was the 90s. Oh. Uh, it was like 98 or something. Oh, my God. This is my nightmare. Yeah. Did you have fun? I, you know, I, it it wasn't quite, it wasn't like tons of crazy stages and things. Um, 
yeah, I think I think it was okay. I think, that, <laughs> but it just got really stressful with the bathroom situation, and it got stressful with um, yeah. the parking and trying to leave. And you know, like Beastie Boys was were playing, and it, you know, it was Run DMC played. It was a really, it was a big, you know, a big performance. But it was just like at the end of the of Beastie Boys, I was like, we got to get out of here before we get trapped. We'll never get home. Yeah, no, that, I mean that's me in any situation like that, mm-hmm. and I feel like, oh my god, I've turned into someone's dad. <laughs> <You know>? Yeah, <laughs> and I've been to a couple of the San Francisco. There's like these amazing free shows that happen mm-hmm. um and th- those are those are a bit nicer because you know san francisco kind of they the uh, the, uh, the consumer requires a little bit more um uh catering to them you know it's not you can't just it's not just dropping people in the middle of the desert with a t- ten dollar bottle of water right right yeah that's the other thing i remember the first time i went to like a show that was in more of like not necessarily an arena, but like a space that was specifically for that kind of stuff. And, you know, you can't bring any outside liquids in. Then water's $10. Of course, it's blazing hot. I remember specifically somehow getting talked into going to see Neil Young in Camden, New Jersey. And it was really hot. People were so wasted. I couldn't believe how drunk people were. In fact, when Neil Young was playing Heart of Gold, this big fist fight broke out like behind me. And so my memories of that moment are not the performance, but people behind me like, yeah, fucking get him, kill him. Yeah, beat the shit out of him. Yeah, you fuck face. Like screaming at each other and punching each other. And I was like, I don't think this is my scene. Like, I'm not into Mm -hmm. this. And also like, I'm sorry, but I get really upset when people charge $10 for water. Yeah, me too. <laughs> I could barely watch the uh the um Woodstock ninety nine documentaries without just being like <laughs> those are so good. I was already like these uh-huh. motherfuckers. Like I just immediately uh-huh. was like outraged. <laughs> well, so speaking of of Woodstock, um, you know, the music festival really actually dated back to ancient Greece, oh. uh, where folks would gather for music, but also arts and sports. Um, and the modern iteration was really founded by that white whale Woodstock. Mm. Um, and they've been basically chasing that high for promoters and concert goers for decades. It's true. Um, Time Magazine did an article on how the festival has changed in 50 years since Woodstock. Um, this the, the article came out in um, 2019. And this is what they said. They said, uh, though it was not the first event of its kind, uh, the Newport Folk and Jazz Festival's Milwaukee Summerfest, which I've been to, um, and the Monterey Pop, Pop Festival predate Woodstock. The 1969 event holds a mythical place within American pop cultural history. Festivals have since evolved from DIY communal spirit of Woodstock, growing into mainstream businesses that reap profits and embrace corporate sponsorships, as more than 32 million people attend them each year, according to the... To the billboard. Wow. Coachella is one of the most popular festivals in the country. It grossed 114.6 million in 2017, setting a major record for the first recurring festival franchise to earn more than 100 million. Wow. Crazy. (laughs) You know, I've talked to Dustin about this because he's definitely played some of those festivals over the years, you know, with various bands. And he'll tell you that, like, Bands kind of low-key love being booked for these because you get paid really, really well. 
and it's usually a pretty short set. Mm-hmm. And so it's not hard to get any band to say yes to these. Um, like, like it's, they get paid pretty well. Um, but he said it's, it sucks otherwise, obviously. He's like, <laughs> yeah, he's yeah. like, there's something exciting about being on stage in front of all these people, but like the logistics of getting in and out are really frustrating. I can, I can imagine. Yeah. Um, so during the, the 2010s, the growth was fueled by many elements, but mainly by the shift of values that millennials embraced, indoctrinating the quote-unquote experiential economy oh, yep. mm-hmm. into the modern mainstream ethos. Um, a 2019 Deloitte survey of millennials who made up 45% So almost 50% of the 32 million people who are attending music festivals found that most of them value experiences with almost 60% of the respondents of these millennials saying that they prioritize travel and seeing the world over owning a home. Mm -hmm. And this was such an alien idea. (laughs) I mean, ruining, you know, now they're like, oh, not only are we going to kill Applebee's, we're going to kill homes. Homes, home ownership. Yeah. Um, And it became actually one of the largest macro movements that really blew the minds of the earlier generations. And it kind of greased the wheel, so they say, of the festival machine, breeding new competing festivals and corporatizing others. Uh, They also had fallen victim to that capitalist machine to -hmm. be consumed by the masses and make their way into the cultural lexicon. I mean, everybody knows Coachella, South by Southwest. Glastonbury, um, they have become household names. Mm -hmm. So they hold so much power and they're driving so much revenue. And we kind of mentioned this, it can be argued, and many have, that it's no longer about the music anymore. Yeah, I mean, I feel, I I don't know, like I feel a little bit of like guilt saying that, but I got to tell you, I saw like 99 times more coverage for what people wore or what celebrities were at Coachella this year than the actual acts. Yes. Absolutely. Like, I don't even know who played except for Frank Ocean because there was a lot of drama there. But like, yeah, seriously, (laughs) I have no no idea. I think Bjork played. Oh, wow. I hope she Uh got a big check. She probably did. Yeah, I'm sure. I'm sure she did. Weird. It's always every time I look at the Coachella lineup, I'm like, huh? Yeah, <laughs> it's actually interesting. I'm going to put a pin in it because um, I kind of talk about that a little bit oh, later. Oh, cool. Okay. Yeah. Um, yeah. So, you know, speaking of festival fashion, it has evolved significantly in the 21st century. Really, obviously, thanks to the rise of social media mm-hmm. and the increasing popularity of festivals around the world. In the past, festival fashion was largely driven by music and counterculture movements. Today, it's more about self-expression and creativity. Um, and festivals are powerful drivers of trends, thanks to social media. They can actually go viral overnight, but not ne- not always the ones you necessarily see or wear every day um, or are able to even recreate in their entirety because festivals are a space to demonstrate your individuality. So it's been become more about, uh, you know, the pageantry and personal expression, an event that much like Halloween was when we were younger, festival fashion is on par with escapism. Mm -hmm. So you can put on a costume and attract attention. Uh, And if you have a large social or cultural brand and following, the expectations and the stakes are actually at their highest during these festivals. Uh, And uh, 
as they often include a large breadth of people, you know, well, those who are actually privileged enough to be able to afford Mm -hmm. to go to these festivals. Um, Festivals become a notorious snapshot of youth culture. Um, There are magnificent displays of trends in a judgment-free playground while festival goers find fleeting freedom from their everyday life, all while being filled with Instagrammable moments and TikTok treats, which are actually the true currency of modern privileged youth. (laughs) Yep. Yeah. So as millennials kind of came of age and steered the ship of all that was cool and consuming, um, the aughts and the oddies were probably one of the most vital time periods for the growth of festivals, for good and bad, bearing the fruits of trends (laughs) far and wide. Um, So some of the trends that really emerged, because this is, I was, when I was really doing research, I really noticed it was like right around this time period of like, Mid to late aughts and then uh, early oddies were like the heyday of like just, you know, everyone becoming obsessed with festival as um, as an experience, as a trend, as, you know, something that you look forward to doing. Mm-hmm. So some of the trends that emerged um, during the aughts festival fever, well, Amanda, this is the same world that pioneered glamping. Ah. A pole- <laughs> A polarizing concept that and is a t- total Amanda special. <laughs> well, you know, I just like, you know, I hate when people make words like that. <laughs> yes. Glamorous camping. If you have not put two and two oh, together, glamorous I camping. Heard, you know, fortunately, I don't hear that term as often these days. Although someone had said something to me about like, oh, I bet you're really into glamping a few weeks ago. And it's, I was it's like, it's just well, so choogy. It's just oh, choogy I was now. like, well, I never, like, I would never glamp. <laughs> She's like, did you slap them? Uh, can you imagine? This is at work. Uh, you know, <laughs> might not have gone very well. So rude. So rude. Well, glamping can be traced all the way back to 2006 in the UK, and it was eventually adopted in the US around 2007, which, of course, I'm sure you probably remember that time period. Mm -hmm. And it was interest in the Glastonbury Music Festival that provided the media attention and impetus for glamping to be popularized. This signaled the rise of a more luxurious experience festival goers were looking for. So back in 2013... Reportedly, only 8% of people stayed in a luxury hotel while attending festivals. But one year later, in 2014, a whopping 80% planned to travel in style and stay in a luxury hotel this year or that year. Wow. So in an effort to, you know, naturally make more money and cater to this growing market of festival goers that wanted the luxury experience, which of course being at a festival is far from that. No, that's what I'm like. What are they? Who are you kidding, guys? (laughs) I guess it's like, well, you want your accommodations at least to be luxurious if you're going to be out in, you know, frolicking in in the dirt with no water. Um So more and more event organizers began offering glamping as an alternative for the more discerning ticket holders. Mm -hmm. Hmm. Uh, Have you ever glamped, Amanda? (laughs) No. I'd say no. We we got the fart noise. (laughs) I mean, I have an RV, so maybe that's glamping on its its own. But it's not. uh, It's not. It's It's like I still Mm -mm. like if I want to take a shower. I mean, I could take one in there, but it would be it would suck. So you know, it's not like luxurious except that there's air conditioning although i would say anything 
anything is more luxurious than like stomping around in a field in the desert w- and waiting in line to use a porta potty. Sorry, everyone. I just like <laughs> true. I don't. I just don't get it. And I mean, have- t- tell us how you really feel. <laughs> I just like, I guess if I were going to go to something like Coachella, I would have to have luxury accommodations just so I could like recover. <laughs> yes. But what exactly. I see happening is that I just lay in bed all day and watch reruns of Law and Order. And right, I never make like, it there. I don't there. even want to go. Yeah, yeah exactly. It's, that's, that's a tough, it's just a tough sell for me. I mean, and I, I guess we're lucky because I can't think of anyone that like mutual friends that we have that would be like you know we're going we're going to coachella and you're going along you know like i can't think do you have do you have any coachella friends i mean i've known people because i live in la i know people who are like oh i'm going to cella or like oh i'm going to um oh god what's that other one the um bernie man the burners yeah i heard bernie man got ruined too not maybe to the extent i don't know maybe they're all ruined but you know it's not like revolve has a place at burning man yet just wait (laughs) oh god i can't wait i can't wait (laughs) (laughs) that actually thank you so much because this actually just um transitions me so beautifully into the next trend which i like to call merch Uh, it happened i feel like very fast and very hard yeah yeah it did it and i i'm going to tell you a little bit about it okay cool and i really think that the folks at woodstock would be just incredulous to see what was going on i know you know know those like instagram um there's these like instagram memes where it's like oh you know a hundred years ago uh you know my my forefathers if they knew what i was doing right now they would just you know (laughs) (laughs) be rolling their eyes but um you know I'd say like around the the 2012s to the 2013s, this was real a real like watershed moment or couple of years for a lot of macro movements inside of the festival consumerism club. Uh, this was also the time when retailers really started to recognize a whole industry based on consumer demand. And to this day, right around April, mm-hmm. you start seeing the quote unquote, festival capsules. And they're smeared across any website catering to the festival goer. And boy, are they even bigger and more trend heavy than ever. I was looking at them, Nasty Gal, ASOS, Dolls Kill, Free People, all of them. Festival goers, as mentioned earlier, needed to nail their look, which will be be showered across all their social statuses this time, perhaps captured by a street style photographer. Remember that? That was like really big Mm -hmm. during the 2012s, 2013s, or even Vogue or Refiner29. They were always covering the style that was happening at... um, you know, at these uh, at these festivals. I mean, they still are to to some extent, but that this was like the heyday. Yeah, and so this was big money, and it contributed to some of the disposable market for clothing. Uh, it actually bec- it, it it contributed to a massive part of the disposable market for clothing. So you know, you go on Boohoo and Pretty Little Things and Nasty Gal, and now it's just cheap shit that you you know it's basically just it's practically paper or plastic. And it's been made just to get you through a single day and then destined to be tossed out. Kind of like those cheap Halloween costumes that you get at like Walgreens or whatever. Oh, totally, totally. I, you know, I was thinking a lot about that era at Nasty Gal where we, you know, I don't know if, I think before you joined the team, uh, our CEO did not want us to buy into festival because she didn't think it was luxury. 
right? <laughs> really? And oh, we, that's, a, that's a big mistake. I know. We were like, dude, we are leave, losing. We're going to lose money. And, you know, in retail, especially apparel retail, like February, March, April are kind of slow times. Yeah. Right. You have it's like a hangover from the holidays. There's not really that much going on. And I'm not like trying to like conspiracy theory here, but sometimes I wonder if festival season became a big thing. It's like or or like, I don't know, it's like a feedback loop here where it becomes bigger because retailers make it bigger because it drives sales because it's like there's nothing else going on. And so it's like festival retailer, festival retailer. They kind of hyped it up together. Valentine's Day. Yeah, exactly. Which Valentine's Day ultimately was hyped into a retail holiday, too, because there's nothing going on in February. It's hard to get people to spend money. And so. When when our CEO was like, I don't want anything boho, anything festival on our website. It's not aspirational. We had to like, trust me, it was like a group effort of like, you're, this is, you're making a massive mistake. And so that oh first God, year yes. we chased into it a little later, but like the stuff sold out as fast as we got it on the site. And I think that was a lesson for her, but probably not. Um, and it was crazy our sales had just been in the shitter if you will uh which you know very well from working there yeah but we had we started bringing in this festival product and posting about it and it was just like it was like christmas yeah that's because the customer's coming to nasty gal for that product and like you're just alienating your 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 customer group if you're not even going to acknowledge it like that's just that's that's just it's like retail 101 and i feel like this was just as it was starting to become a bit a really big thing and those clothes were shitty for sure but um i can only imagine like looking at that pink bedazzled uh jacket and uh skirt combo from dolls kill that i was talking about you know that thing is like made of trash bags basically Mm -hmm. um and it does have this weird like halloween costume i'm gonna wear it once and then maybe i will wear it for a costume at some point but that's it kind of vibe to it so it's just like super depressing well, I actually have some interesting statistics. Oh, okay. That I on Tell this. me these interesting, probably depressing statistics. And a lot of this is based on, you know, God forbid an influencer wears their festival look another time <laughs> or worse to another festival. Like how embarrassing. Yeah. Um, so I did want to pull on that thread a little bit because I do feel like a lot of our listeners and you are really interested in these facts. Mm-hmm. And so the numbers on the disposable economics around festival fashion are staggering. And so I have a few a few that I pulled from. Um, so in 2019, a British group did a survey on Brit shopping habits. Um, I don't know if they did anything from the United States or anything. I have I get into this a little bit later, but they found that some single use outfits for music festivals, such as Glastonbury and Coachella alone, account for approximately three hundred and seven million dollars worth of items per year, or about seven point five million outfits worn only once. Ah, oh, that is disgusting. And then in 2022, even more recently, ThreadUp did their own research. And my mind is blown. And I actually threw up a little in my mouth when I was reading this. Great. So ThreadUp Festival, the ThreadUp Festival Fashion Survey found that an estimated one in four people in the US plan to attend a music festival or concert this year. One in four. Okay. Nearly half of that, 42%. Of this year's festival goers say they plan to buy a new festival outfit 
So that's an estimated 26.9 million outfits purchased for the return of festival season. Oh my God. But nearly one in three festival shoppers say they buy festival outfits that they'll wear only once. Good Lord, this kills me. I mean, I just, this is Halloween. This is like, it's Halloween. Every year on Close Horse, we do like a Close Horse Mm -hmm. Saves Halloween episode. And the statistics for Halloween are very similar. But I think like we know of Halloween as this massively wasteful holiday. I think it's probably news for a lot of people that, I mean, it's not for me and I know it's not for you because we've worked in this industry, but like that it's so wasteful. It's an incredible level of impulse shopping that let's this is the classic mm-hmm. like and this is something i always tell people on clothes where it's like it's a habit we have to break where like if you're going to go on a trip you buy a whole new suitcase of new clothes right this is what festival is i mean yes. it's like buying like a whole week of, of brand new outfits that you're only going to wear then and it's not like these outfits translate to day-to-day life in most situations no. we'll just, just no. agree right i mean literally go to nasty gal right now <laughs> you know a lot of this stuff is not something you, you're able to wear unless you go to like vegas or something well you that know? was our other remember when we, was like yes, our other vegas was also <laughs> like, <laughs> the amount of times we had to think about is this for vegas yeah i mean i'm just looking yeah. at it's so weird to look at the nasty gal homepage right now because it looks i'm going to it right now it's like bizarro nasty gal which is what it, it is it is it is bizarro because it's owned by Boohoo. Right. Oh, man. But it's like interesting because I feel like you look at some of the photos here, like these knee high silver cowboy boots, and you're like, the quality on those is reprehensible. Mm-hmm. Yeah. <laughs> you know, like you can exactly. tell already, you're like, you're not even going to make it through a whole day of festival with those shoes on your feet. Um, here, if you, you go to the festival outfits, there's like a whole tab on the on the top. Oh, my God. Next to shoes yes. called festival wow. outfits. Wow. And it is. You seeing anything there you'd wear? It looks so hot. Okay. (laughs) It looks so warm. If I were going to buy something here, it would be this long line tinsel fringe jacket. I I figured. But I'm the kind of person who would wear that to work, you know? Yeah. That's that's my Mm -hmm. life. But most of this would be not appropriate (laughs) for, for work. (laughs) <laughs> yes exactly wow. yeah this is this is crazy um anyway <sighs> well so 40 also according to thread up on this survey um they found that 40 percent 40 percent nearly half of gen z say it's unlikely that they will rewear the outfits purchased for musical festivals. And you know what? Here's the here's the rub of That's it crazy. all. No one else probably will either. Because yeah. these clothes may not make it through the day. Yeah. Or they're going to be in some way disgusting because they've been out in the mm-hmm. sun or got dusty and dirty and no one wants to buy them. And I also think there is this like the trend cycle of f- what's in for festival is so it's such a little like flash in the pan. That, like, mm-hmm. it's not relevant for next year's festival. Like, you might be able to put away your Halloween costume this year and wear it again next year or give it to your friend to wear it or your neighbor or whatever, and it will still be relevant. But if you buy your uh, Malibu, pink Malibu Barbie outfits for festival this year, it's no one's going to want to wear them for festival next year because next year's trend will be, like, dinosaur rave or something like that you know (laughs) and so it's just like it's the saddest thing and i even noticed at nasty gal that the clothes not necessarily stuff we made in-house for festival but the stuff that we bought from the san pedro paramount for a festival was not necessarily cheaper than anything we bought before after the festival delivery 
but the quality was significantly lower. Like it was already, and this is like, we're talking like 2015 at this point, right? It's leaning into this disposability, this illusion of disposability. I mean, all of that faux suede that was basically Halloween costume felt, I mean, for example, but like these clothes, no one's expecting anyone to wear them again. It's just depressing. And I'm definitely going to do a closed horse post about this. So I'm glad we were talking about uh, yeah, it. Yeah, <laughs> no, I figured that you guys, you would love, you would be able to use this. So you yeah, feel free yeah, to use any of this people information. Are gonna get, I mean, this is like, I'm going to post about it tonight. Um, it's so good. And it, I mean, it's so bad. It's so I bad. I mean, it's, yeah. it's good to have the information. It is good to have it because I think if you're not living that festival life, you don't realize this. Whereas, like I said, Halloween is one that everybody can be like, oh yeah, Halloween, I've experienced it, right? But this festival thing, you know about it if you live that festival life or if you work in the industry making those festival clothes. I mean, I'd be so curious what the garbage collectors have to pick up around, in and around the festivals. Like how much volume people are just tossing out at the end of the day or literally as they walk off the grounds or at their hotel or where their glamp their glamping station or oh, whatever should leave you know? in shoes and clothes and all kinds of stuff just crap. a friend was telling me about going to a bachelorette party that was like a similar sort of festival situation and there were themes for everything they were supposed to wear and people literally threw their clothes out when they left because yeah. it was like we don't we don't need this. Uh, this yeah. was just for this. I will and, never wear this again. And it's just like, guys, ah, it 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 depresses me. I, I like I think that ninety percent of my negative feelings towards festivals at this point really come from this and the plastic and the waste mm-hmm. and the just all, all of it. I guarantee there's so many shoes everywhere that are abandoned, especially if you buy these shoes I'm seeing on the Nasty Gal website right now. You're going to end up <laughs> leaving barefoot. <laughs> yeah, yeah, because it's uncomfortable. It's hot. You're probably yeah. just like, I just can't even deal yeah. with this anymore. Yeah, it's, it's, yeah. I mean, I, I'm interested to hear what our listeners think about this and like how many of you go to festivals and what your experience is with it. Or were you, did you used to be like one of these festival people with the outfits and did you change? You know, like what, what, mm-hmm. where are you with it? Because like, Kim and I have already established that we're not festival people. <laughs> <laughs> oh, I don't think they, they got that from this this whole conversation. You know, I will say, like, as you were talking about, like, the rise of sort of festival fashion, because it wasn't always there, right? I mean, no doubt that people who went to Woodstock were like, oh, I hope I look good, right? But I'll tell you, watching the Woodstock 99 documentary, no one was wearing special outfits. They were like, we're trying no. to survive. I noticed this difference. <laughs> it was one of the last years that I went to South by... It was probably like 2010, 2011. And uh, all of a sudden, I mean, I'm always like, as you know, I'm always dressed up. That is just who I am. And not like I was buying new clothes to wear to South by, but I'd be like, oh, today I'm definitely going to wear that suede cape and this hat, right? Because like, I want to look good because, you know, I might meet someone and never did, by the way, (laughs) never met anyone at South by. But uh the last year that I went there, there were a lot of these street style photographers. And that year, rather than coming with my friend Raina, I'd actually come. This is a very strange scenario. I actually went to South by with my first boyfriend who I'd been broken up with for like 10 years and some of our old roommates from Chicago. So it was a very different setup for me. And he was getting really annoyed because people kept asking to take photos of my outfit. 
Like it really bothered him. And I, I felt like, I mean, I was glad that we were no longer together also, but I feel like it really reinforced for him why we broke up. <laughs> wow. He was just jealous. I think he was jealous too. That's what I told him. But you know, mm-hmm. like, I, I think that I noticed that year, I was like, wow, a lot more people are on their phones. A lot more people are posting stuff. I'm seeing it happening at the performances and I'm seeing a lot more outfit mm-hmm. photos and backdrops for taking outfit photos. And this is still like nothing compared to what festivals are now. But the exactly. outfits are like a part of this lifestyle. Yeah, they are. And it's part of like the, the whole social media presence. Ugh, and- stupid social media. Oh, it's so it gross. was social so, media all along. <laughs> so why aren't people rewearing more of their festival outfits? And you know, the independent asked that question, and so they they used a census wide um, uh, survey that found that as a whole, one in four of those surveyed, so a quarter of the people surveyed, would feel embarrassed wearing an outfit to a special occasion more than once. Ugh. I hate that. I know. Yeah. I know. But, you know, the merch isn't just cornered to pre-festival sales anymore. Pre-festival sales, pre-festival consumption, getting that look together. Mm-hmm. Festivals themselves are turning into shopping centers because they have, a, you know, a captive audience and a highly consuming audience, that is, too. Mm-hmm. Um, as well as all these platforms for brands to showcase themselves and align with, you know, different musicians, but also with the same influencers. So, um, in an article by The Cut, uh, fashion editor, editor Bianca ne- Neves was bombarded this year because she went to Coachella and she reported back on kind of like the, what was happening in the fashion world. Did she have fun? Um, I think she did. <laughs> you know, I think she enjoyed it. Okay. You know, like, mo- like most general, like the general population enjoys going. Okay. Um, so, you know, but there was like Frank Ocean merchandise Everywhere. It's like the first thing you see when you walk in. Wow. There's bad but bad bunny times Adidas collabs. And then of course, she did report on this, Revolve Fest. Oh. Influencer heaven. And so I'm just gonna get a little into this Revolve Festival. Yeah. Um, so the Revolve Festival is not affiliated with Coachella, but it is an adjacent experience. It is off-site, you know, you have to take like a bus to get okay, there. Okay, so can I just tell you? That mm. I just learned that this week. I always thought Revolve just maybe had like a big, uh, like too. a booth or something. Me too. Yeah, this was shocking to me that it's like, I don't know, maybe everybody else knew this. But I don't I don't think, I think this is the first year that it became very clear that it's not actually at Coachella. Well, I mean, last year there was a huge um, controversy because uh, you know it, they like they likened Revolve Fest to Fry Festival oh. because influencers couldn't get to Coachella. The buses it was basically just the buses weren't running properly. Oh yes, I remember that now. It was pretty much yeah. it, mm. and everyone was going crazy. And that's the only way I I was like, wait, they, there's there's an offsite. I didn't yeah. realize that. I always thought they just had like a bus there or something. I don't yeah. know. Wow, interesting. Anyway, so it was launched in 2015, and it's a very exclusive invitation only party and it's held that first weekend of coachella and so with the popularization of social media through the aughts and the audience that we've talked about a million times coachella has transitioned from being all about the music and more of a place to see and be seen on the internet and neves noted that tiktok commentator megan rinks 
referred to the festival as an quote-unquote influencer work trip (laughs) in a comment on a post about her past experiences at the festival. Brands want to be seen so they can invite influencers to market them. Um, And so Revolve Fest evolved out of the mindset shift and is positioned as this influencer haven with a massive gifting suite and a full space to create content and extol the virtues of Revolve. And Amanda shared this (laughs) Vice article um, that, that had this, it was like a TikTok um, with from a self-described plus one that was at the Revolve Festival. She did these behind-the-scene videos of the experience. Did you watch this at all? Oh, my... God. I, you, it was awful. I live for this stuff. Like, I... <laughs> It was worse than I thought it would be. And I got really, I mean, I definitely got depressed. I also, I mean, we've talked about this before. Like, I've never really been, like, into influencers because, and I I think a big part of that comes working on the other side of the industry and knowing, knowing how the sausage gets made, basically. And so I expected it would be sort of dystopic. (laughs) And it was, Mm -hmm. (laughs) you know, but how depressing. I don't know. I could only watch one of her videos because also her voice made me cringe so hard. <laughs> I was just like, "This is this what our our the next generation has to oh, offer?" Grandma. Us? <laughs> oh, it's <was> awful. <laughs> um, but anyway, I I have linked. Um, it's called Coachella Revolve Festival Influencers or something. It's I have the the Vice. Um, article linked in the show notes. I do recommend you watch it. We, I, I can try to repost um, some of these TikToks too, just so everyone can puke a little bit. Um, <laughs> it is super interesting. But um, I know we had talks a bit earlier kind of about the business model of Revolve and the reason why they even do oh. these, these festivals, because you can only imagine how expensive they are. I can't even, you know, when I was reading this article, the one you just referenced, I was trying to wrap my mind around it because I know that so many influencers went to this because it's been like all, I mean, it's been all over Reddit, right? And what was interesting is that I felt for the first time in a long time, I mean, and this has been coming, I think that our relationship, and when I say our, I mean all of us, not just me and you, our relationship with influencers and what we expect from them and the accountability we want from them and even how much we can be influenced has really changed a lot since the pandemic began. And I think now, I mean, things are just so different now, right? And basically everybody was like, you know, I used to like love all the influencer Coachella content and now it just makes me sick. It's like so gross, stupid, you know, and then hearing about like Revolve Festival, like people see through it now. So it's interesting because I I do kind of wonder if Revolve is like just wasting this phenomenal amount of money at this point. Well, let me get into it a little yeah, bit. Yeah, I'm fascinated. Revolve to me is like a scam. It's there's a lot of stuff happening. Yeah, it's real weird. It's- so they do have a very interesting business model. And of course, you know, there's not full transparency. So, you know, I did do some Reddit d- deep dives. I did look at a bunch of articles and things like that. Um, so their, um, their business model and the marketing model, it has a very interesting customer acquisition and retention strategy. And it's just focused on influencer relations and clout. And in 2018, 
Revolve reported that 70% of their sales came from influencers or ding, ding, you know, ding. <laughs> from affiliate market marketing through influencer links, essentially. So that's that's insane and that's not normal mm-hmm. if anyone works doesn't work. Most people probably don't work in marketing, but that's extremely abnormal and a pretty um, interesting way that they've set up their business because usually you're spending a lot of money on ads and, you know, Facebook ads, Instagram ads, and they're really, really expensive. And like the acquisition cost for each new customer or, you know, the returning customer is just crazy high. So it is, it is a different model that they've set up. Um, and so they, and they have a really, really high return rate. Yes. Um, like returning of product rate as well. And it's really like people are buying stuff to wear for these things, wearing it once and returning it. Yes. There's a lot of people also buying like five different sizes Mm. to try on at home. Right. And then returning the one, I mean, maybe, maybe returning everything, but returning the one that fits. Have you ever bought anything from Revolve? No. I think I did one time. And it was back when I we, we worked at Nasty Gal. Um, and I don't know. I'm just like, Revolve, the product on there isn't interesting to me. I hate the way it's shot. Um, it has like a, I don't know, like a slimy vibe to it. Mm. I don't know. Mm. Okay. That's, that's a review. <laughs> <laughs> There's just something about it where I'm like, this feels off to me. Like, I don't like interesting. it. So when yeah. I started to hear that like things are weird there. I was like, oh yeah, okay, makes sense, you know? Yeah. Um, so, okay, so they have a really higher return rate. And in 2017, they reported, I think it was like $400 million in net sales. <laughs> okay, okay, that's a lot. Which is, which is total sales minus returns, okay? okay. Um, but they also had $385 million in returns. So- about a fifty percent of everything okay, so wait, that was. Let me just get this right. So, four hundred plus three eighty five was their total sales. So seven eighty five. Yes. So fifty percent of it was returned. Fifty percent. That of it was is returned. like a nightmare. And it's millions of dollars. Yeah, and and like the thing is, like, not only did the product come back, these reverse logistics of returns are yes. so expensive. Yes, and I was saying is that it doesn't even cover the cost of shipping. On the company because they do free returns and on the environment, so it actually did prompt Revolve to reexamine their return policy, um, and it actually takes away privilege from people that um, are avid returners. Wow. So the, the modified policy reads: um, return restrictions can be placed on accounts that have exceeded our threshold <laughs> for returns. If you have returned more than seventy five hundred dollars of merchandise in the last twelve months, and you have sent back over eighty percent of the value of your purchases made in the last twelve months, your account will be subject to a modified return policy and not eligible for free returns. So basically, you can still return goods, but you have to pay for shipping and a 15% restocking fee. Imagine returning 75 items in 12 months. Oh, my God. That was I was just doing that math because I was like, oh, like, let's just say the average retail was $100. Yes. That's 75. I mean, that's a full time job. Yeah. But that's (laughs) like it's so much. I mean, like the speculation on Reddit has Mm -hmm. been like it is this is driven by influencers and influencer culture, you know. 
for every like big influencer out there, there are like a hundred aspiring influencers. And they unfortunately are, you know, part of that machine of like, you have to wear a different outfit for every post. Exactly. Otherwise, it's, they're going to be embarrassed. And that's what they're all reporting is that there's an embarrassment that comes with it. And so I did, Amanda, you're going to be so proud of me. I did an Amanda special and I went into a Reddit K-hole about some yeah. of the methods <laughs> and systems that Revolve used. Um, and it uses to influence their influencers oh, okay. to build this, this like, you know, 70% of sales. I just... All these statistics about Revolve are, are shocking to me. It's crazy. It is really crazy. Um, and so 70% come through the affiliate links that the influencers wield, but they get bonuses and gifts, even like, say, a trip to Coachella if they are like the highest ranked um, affiliate. <laughs> wow. A free trip to Coachella, and, everyone. Well, apparently they do. Okay. If, if I'm reading this, they do have to pay for. Um, their airfare and stuff like that they do have to pay to be there but they will they get the they get to be vip at the coachella you know thing. so at some point i mean i guess it's when i bought something from revolve back when i worked at nasty gal so revolve has my email address i got an email from them like back in march that was like they were opening this revolve festival up to customers and i want to say it cost fifteen thousand dollars to go if it wasn't fifteen, wow. it was Whoa. five thousand. But either way, that's wild. I thought that they never opened it. I up. well, I, there was talk about it on Reddit that was like, "Oh, this is interesting." Like now they're mm. selling tickets on Reddit. There's a lot of um, contributors that were likening their setup to um, MLM or like a pyramid scheme, yeah. but that really is not the correct analogy. <laughs> Um, you know, because the incentives are more akin to a little beauty company, you may recall. And so I'm going to read a couple little quotes that I pulled from the, the, the Reddit community. Um, so one of them, and I'm going to quote her, she says, I'm, some, I'm somehow on their influencer list. And I get emails for them all the time trying to push sales. Their most recent was that the person with the most sales on a given day gets a free coffee for a year. And the most person with the most sales for those 10 days gets a $1,000 gift card to Revolve. Huge Mary Kay vibes. Yeah. Where's the pink yeah. car? Yeah, right there. Um, and then another person said, I can't remember whose video I was watching, but th they said the amount of money they sell from affiliate links depends on how much their credit for shopping on the site is and what trips they go on. They have to earn those trips, which gives me big MLM vibes mm -hmm. because I see the girls begging for sales on Facebook so they can make their trips. Wow. Isn't that interesting? It's, oh, I think it's so interesting. It is so interesting. I mean, like I said, their, their business is really confusing to me, um, just as someone who works in the industry, right? Because the bulk of their product assortment is brands. Now, I know there are a bunch of brands on there that they own now, so they're making higher margin on them. But, you know, when you're buying from actual brands out there, the margin is very low, meaning it's just like not as profitable and yeah. you really need to sell it at full price or you're not going to make any money. Then we have all of these wild, this wild return rate, which like, I just yeah. want to say, remind everybody again, it's not just the dollar's worth of clothing that got returned that is a hit to their bottom line. It's all the processing and shipping and the damages and paying people to pro like to keep track of all this stuff and on and on and on, right? That's 
a big chunk of their money too. And then like all of this other, like throwing the festival and all of these like affiliate, you know. Yeah, because usually affiliate links are, you know, the affiliate will get, you know, somewhere between five, yeah. 10 percent. Right. Uh, yeah, which is that that just that just eats into your margin too. I don't know how big Revolves is if they're going to be giving away all these other things. Wow, it's interesting to me because the stuff that they were selling for festival was not what we just saw on Nasty Gal. Like it is more expensive. It's definitely like a a, a wealthier customer, I would say. Um and I don't know. It's it almost in some ways feels like an older customer, but I know that that's not really the case either. It's just like it's influencer culture. Yeah. It is. So the third trend is <laughs> trends in cultural appropriation. Oh, man. Like, <laughs> when you say festival, uh-huh. the first thing I think is cultural appropriation. Yes. Like like it's like if we were on like a game show where you I, you were trying to give me the clue to say like cultural family fe- feud. Yeah, I would be like cultural appropriation and it would be the first thing on the board. <laughs> Ding. <laughs> yeah, exactly. Uh-huh. Yep. Yep. Um, so at the intersection of culture and consumerism, the pathway to cultural appropriation is wide, and the trends have practically dominated the festival culture. So as mentioned, festivals are all about costumery and individualism, but there is a fine line between freedom of expression and outright disrespect, especially in privileged environments like music festivals. Yet they were a breeding ground, especially in the aughts and the oddies. So I'm going to take a look at a few. Um, and I, you know, but before I do that, I just want to kind of clarify what cultural appropriation is. So cultural appropriation can be defined as borrowing from someone else's culture without their permission and without acknowledgement to the victim's culture and past. When we look back at some of the biggest offenders, we find that many of the appropriation came out of the hipster subculture movement that we talk about a lot here on the department. So, you know, Mm -hmm. make sure to listen to those ones because they're real good. Um, And so, you know, the hipster subculture is generally made up of white, middle to upper class, pro-consumerist, but anti-capitalist people (laughs) who through ignorance and indifference popularized some trends particularly leveraged at festivals to make a quote statement. (laughs) Ah. (laughs) So the number one, and I I actually have a pretty big deep dive in this. Okay. Okay. Is the native American headdress. I mean, (laughs) it is just easily, I mean, everywhere just splashed uh, at every festival far and wide for so many years, and it was one of the most adapted, appropriated, and beloved problematic accessories within the space of festival fever. Wearing a headdress has endless disrespectful elements and is a vivid display of ignorance that, you know, kind of through many social movements, fashion editorials, and mu- music icon endorsements became a really big statement piece that took years to be ripped away from the heads and hearts of non-Indigenous festival folk. So the Guardian came out with an article in 2014 called, and there's lots of articles, by the way. This was a huge, huge conversation piece for p- pretty much any sort of um, publication. So in so theirs was, uh, why the fashion headdress must be stopped. <laughs> 
they're, they're, most of them have an iteration of a title very similar to that. Um, and I, I quote, this summer, headdresses, often accessorized with floral war paint, have been ubiquitous at music festivals, from Coachella to Latitude. Festival culture has always been drawn to the idea of tribes. Consider the neo-pagan aesthetic of Burning Man, the early 90s free party scene, and the hardcore hippie enclaves of uh, Glastonbury. Put people in a field for a weekend, sleeping under canvas, and in some cases, teepees possibly on drugs, and some are bound to explore fantasies of escaping modern society and embracing their, quote, natural selves via the otherness of older cultures. Headdresses slot comfortably into the amorphous array of tribal knickknacks that have been keeping festival stallholders in business for years. So native aesthetics have been wildly popular uh, as a fashion trend since Woodstock, but the trend of its like most recent megawave came from the hipster music and fashion icons of the early aughts. And Patient Zero manifested through the influential hipsterati who donned headdresses and other tribal sim- symbols as theatrical stage costumes, including Natasha Khan of Bat for Lashes and Juliet Lewis while performing in Juliet and the Licks. Mm-hmm. So they emerged from the depths of the hipster established belief and values around consumer culture, leading to the coveting of anything that felt what they call, they, they call authentic or any <sighs> emblems that represented a counter to the mainstream, obviously with no real comprehension or recognition of the impact they were having, appropriation, and the influence that would actually be left behind. And this tidal wave kind of transcended through the hipster trend machine, with Native American symbols and accessories iterated on left and right, and festivals were the, one of the most popular places to show off your headdress. Kesha became a consistent figurehead oh, and a running joke. Well, I will reference it a little bit. For journalists during uh, all types of performances for years and was the bane of many activists. And of course, you know, hipsters peddle in irony and nothing is more ironic than misappropriating elements of sacred indigenous tradition while recontextualizing the pieces to wear for fashion and performative reasons, all while disguising the narrative as, as quote-unquote, honoring the culture. And of course, ironically, all this essentially mitigates the authenticity that hipsters strive for, all the while mocking tradition and culture. Additionally, the irony is not lost that most of these festivals where, where you know, these headdresses were showcased actually occurred on indigenous land. So the appropriation holds even more weight and even more of a slight. <laughs> Yeah. <laughs> uh, yeah. So in the late aughts and the early aughties, headdresses saw the highest demand on Etsy, with shops adding their own handcrafted versions left and right to keep up with this demand. Headdresses are not generally available to the public, though. You know, uh, like actual authentic or indigenously crafted channels. Um, there were you know there were different restrictions mm-hmm. placed on actually selling them, you know. So crafters and makers just jumped on the bandwagon to supply the demand. 
Um, and there, those are the, there's a lot of strong reasons why the headdresses are not available through these authentic channels. Um, so Chelsea Vowell, who is a contributor of the Huffington Post, and who is a Plains Cree, wrote in 2012 about the restrictions of such traditional pieces and likens them to other symbolically restricted items that require the person who, you know, wields them, wears them, whatever, um, to have actually earned them. So she basically likens them to military medals or, you know, a diploma, you know, something that they're considered restricted because they're not something that... uh, a normal wearer would wear because it just, it seems super inappropriate. Um, so she says, yeah, in particular, the headdress worn by most non-natives imitate those worn by various Plains nations. These headdresses are further restricted within the culture to men who have done certain things to earn them. It is very rare for a woman in Plains culture to wear these headdresses and their ability to do so, again, quite restricted. So thus, Essie turned into essentially a black market of crafters on supplying this huge demand and creating a really inauthentic reproductions to fuel the appropriation and trend further. I've I've placed in a few really wonderful... um, Images, found images of festivals and, and white women wearing headdresses, which I think are constantly, you know, so repellent. Um, but, uh, you know, yeah, fun, funny to look at. They um, especially are, when I you mean, know that. I mean, they're appalling. Appa- yeah. They're just so smug. <laughs> you just want to, you puke a little bit in your mouth. Um, so 2010 and 2011 was really the pinnacle of the trend as retailers started to jump on the bandwagon in full force. Retailers saw the trend, you know, that was being picked up by all the hipsters. Of course, they wanted to appeal to the hipsters because the hipsters drove trend. And so they wanted mm-hmm. to capitalize on this crush for all things native and indigenous. So capsule collections were released with many of the millennial-leaning retailers, and the theme spread far and wide. But this also really marked the beginning of the end. Now, in 2011, I'm sure, Amanda, you will remember this, Urban came out with their Navajo collection, which spanned practically all categories and caused serious issues for the retailer. And a few of the products that caught the most ire were a flask, and their quote-unquote Navajo hipster panty. I don't know what they were thinking. I mean, they weren't. And like, you know, I'm just going to tell you as a person who's worked there and has worked at a lot of other retailers, there's no one like, I don't know, being like the final check and balance on this kind of stuff, right? Like we had that collection at Nasty Gal that basically ripped off like traditional Chinese clothing i don't know if you were there for that one but then they took it wasn't no they took the collection to chinatown and shot the marketing there oh i mean just like appalling right and that was a situation where a few of us were like hi yeah we think this is a bad idea and we were shut down um because even if you are that person on the team who's like this is wrong this is why this is an educational opportunity for all of us etc etc if the people in sh- at the top are like whatever, <laughs> like nothing's gonna, nothing's gonna change, right? Um, it doesn't shock me that Urban Outfitters had the audacity to do this because they've never had to deal with any repercussions for any of this, other than some people being mad at them on the internet. Like people still shop there, you know? Yeah. 
Well, outraged, there was a guest contributor at Racialicious. It was a Native American by the name of Sasha Houston Brown, and she wrote on Racialicious, Racialicious, that's a really hard word to say 10 times fast, um, (laughs) which is, it doesn't exist anymore, so it was was hard to find um, everything about it, and I really wish I could look at it and see what the comments were. I remember this so clearly. I remember this post. Oh, my God. She wrote an open letter to Urban Outfitters, and it said, this past weekend, I had the unfortunate experience of visiting a local Urban Outfitters store in Minneapolis. It appeared as though the recording artist Kesha had violently exploded in the store, leaving behind a cheap, vulgar, and culturally offensive retail collection. Plastic dream catchers wrapped in pleather hung next to an an indistinguishable mass of artificial feather jewelry and hyper-sexualized clothing featuring an abundance of suede, fringe, and inauthentic tribal patterns. So she brought public attention to this and it and not just to the fact that Urban was capitalizing on China made appropriated crap but also the fact that it was illegal and it violated the Indian Arts and Crafts Act of 1990 which essentially prohibits the mis uh, representation of marketing of Indian arts and crafts products within the United States. And the Navajo Nation Attorney General took notice just from this article and sued Urban Outfitters in 2012, and they ended up settling in 2016 for an undisclosed sum. Good. The Na- yes. The Navajo Nation claims the retailer had sold more than $500 million worth of Navajo-branded goods uh, using the word Navajo as a trademarked name as just a generic blanket descriptor of anything that is emblematic of native iconography. And I do remember that time period when the word Navajo was used, even though Navajo is a a specific tribe and is a word that that mm-hmm. tribe doesn't even like to be associated with because it was the name that was given by to them by white people. Um, so it's just, you know, very, it's a very problematic word altogether. I remember that being everywhere. Yeah. Yeah. No, it was, you know, it's a mixture of like lack of education it is. around this. Um, definitely, you know, like white supremacy uh, and, and capitalism here mm-hmm. where, even if someone said, hey, actually, this is a bad idea, like I said, like the people at the top are going to be like, oh, well, it's a trend and people are going to buy it. And I'm sure a ton of people bought those underwear from Urban Outfitters. Yeah. You know? And the wor- uh, and just the word Navajo was the trend. Navajo was like uh, this cool hipster oh, word. Totally. I'd be like, oh, let's get a Navajo blanket, Navajo mm-hmm. print, Navajo print. It was, I mean, this was like on the heels of remember tribal print like mm-hmm. that's literally what it was being called in magazines in blogs yes this is the trend it's called tribal print i mean how offensive is that i guess you may as well also then just be like now it's navajo print yes and i do think like once again lack of education here it was my hope is that that would not happen now and yeah. if someone had the audacity to try to sell you something quote navajo print at this point that they would be immediately shut down yeah, but I, think I just so. I just don't know. Like, I'm glad that Urban Outfitters had to pay a financial penalty here, because you know, so often all that happens when there's something stupid and 
insensitive happening, like a brand making something like this, the thing that happens is just that they have to eat the inventory. That's it. Yeah. And, you know, that that pro- that maybe affects their bottom line in a really, really tiny way. It doesn't change behaviors. Right. And so exactly. I'm glad there's no at penalty. Least, there's no penalty. And so uh, my hope is that at least other retailers would see this and be like, well, we don't have the bank account that Urban Outfitters has. So we better not do this kind of thing anymore. Actually, and to that point, hilariously, uh, Forever 21 came out with a collection right around the same time, also <laughs> called the Navajo Collection, oh. that they quickly renamed. What did they rename it? Uh, I don't know. Genocide? Yeah. But, I mean, yeah, I did actually. Um, there, there was a video that I'd found that's, um, it, it, it's like a parody. It's called Genocide che- Chic, and it's um, based on the <laughs> Urban Outfitters collection. That I'm, uh, I'm going to put it here in the show notes if you feel like you want to watch a YouTube video. It's pretty, it's funny and really, um, you know, pointedly uh, a, a parody against um, Urban. You know, and I like there was this hope to me that while people were getting really into so-called Navajo prints and wearing headdresses to festival, that maybe that would also get them excited to learn more yeah. about indigenous culture. Exactly. And, they did not. And how colonialism has impact indigenous culture. I know, I know. But imagine in a better world where that like if the world were aligning to a script that I'd written. I mean, there would be a lot of other changes, but perhaps that would have been one of the things that came out of it. And it really didn't. In fact, we didn't really start to unpack that or have those difficult conversations until like 2020, which was many years at this point after the fact. Exactly. Yeah, exactly. Um, And uh, yeah, I I definitely feel like it did come down from just really terrible education. Just like- Just releasing this crew of of youths, <laughs> you know, who who were striving for some sort of authenticity and just creating like wreaking havoc and like really upsetting so many people in their wake. Um, so there was an article that I um, that I saw quoted in pretty much every other publication um, while I was researching this like. Uh, the uh the headdresses the trend of headdresses and it's from the native uh the native appropriations website and the article is called but why can't i wear a hipster headdress ah uh. and um it's a form for discussing representation of na- native people including stereotypes cultural appropriation news activism and more and they eloquently break down the reasons why it's deeply pro- problematic to don headdresses or any tribal trends. And, you know, it's def- it comes from a Native American person. So, you know, this was definitely something that was pulled by, you know, all, all of the, um, all the journalists. Um, and so I just wanted to uh, read it really quickly for you, because I just, I thought it was written really well. Um, headdresses promote stereotyping of Native cultures. The image of a war bonnet, which is also uh, the name for um, a headdress, and War paint wearing Indian is one that has been created and perpetuated by Hollywood and only bears minimal resemblance to traditional regalia of Plains tribes. It furthers the stereotype that Native people are one monolithic culture, when in fact there are 500 plus distinct tribes with their own cultures. It also places Native people in the historic past as something that we cannot exist in modern society. We don't walk around in ceremonial attire every day, but we still exist and are still native. 
Um, another point that she made was headdresses, feathers, and war bonnets have deep spiritual significance. The wearing of feathers and war bonnets in native communities is not a fashion choice. Eagle feathers are presented as symbols of honor and respect and have been earned. Some communities give them to children when they become adults through special ceremonies. Others present the feathers as a way of commemorating an act or event of deep significance. War bonnets especially are reserved to respect or for respected figures of power. The other issue is that war bonnets are reserved for men in native communities, which I mentioned. And uh, nearly all of these pictures show women sporting the headdresses. I can't read it as an act of feminism or subverting the patriarchal society. It's an act of utter, utter disrespect for the origins of the practice. Um, this is just as bad as running around in a Pope hat and a bikini or a Sikh <laughs> turban because it's cute. <laughs> um, she also says it's like wearing blackface. You know, she says it's, you know, quote unquote, plain Indian has a long history in the United States, all the way back to the, those original tea parties in Boston. And in no way is better than minstrel shows or dressing up in blackface. You are pretending to be a race that you are not and you're drawing upon a stereotype to do so. Like my first point said, you're collapsing distinct cultures and in doing so, you're asserting your power over them, which leads me to the next issue. There is a history of genocide and colonialism involved uh, involved that continues today. By the sheer fact that you live in the United States, you are benefiting from the history of genocide and continued colonialism of Native people. That land that you're standing on, Indian land, taken illegally. So your ancestors who came here to the U.S. could buy it and live off of it, gaining valuable capital. Um, you know, so it's, it's, she breaks it all down. She does a really great job. It has been quoted in everything. That's why I wanted to kind of read it. Um, I, I just, I, I thought it was, you know, an interesting um, reflection for everybody who's listening just to kind of. Um, so you don't have to do your own research. So by the mid-2010s, and after years of deprogramming, and like I mentioned, articles from every fashion and lifestyle journalist out there to educate those last few pe- people, the trend finally lost steam. Many festivals started to ban headdresses, or what they call war bonnets, from the grounds because they were such a problematic festival trend. And really, the word just spread. Friends were holding friends accountable, and the trend really crawled back under the cesspool it crawled out of. And hopefully, it's probably there to stay. Hopefully. You know, we do know that trends happen uh, when a generation does not have the awareness, so you never know. Um, But recent reports from this year's Coachella noted that there wasn't a Native American headdress to be found this year. Good. Success. Finally. <laughs> Success. Um, Vice came out with an art with an article that was called Should You Wear a Native American Headdress to Coachella? Um and it basically is just a picture of a line that says, No, you idiot. Um <laughs> I mean, I love that. We need the same thing for like some Halloween costume ideas yes. that I've seen out there. Um, and another one I'm just gonna touch on lightly also is the Bindi. Um, (laughs) Paige and Gwen Stefani exactly thank you so the bindi was another really hot trend that was fueled by music icons and then taken up by the masses you know people traveling to Burning Man where you know you couldn't wear glitter but you could wear a bindi Um, but it was also embraced at pretty much all the other festivals and according to a Vice article from 2015 titled A Cultural History of White Girls Wearing Bindis (laughs) 
<laughs> I know. It's really great. There was a, there was just so many articles about appropriation at this time period. The first wave of bindi appropriation came out of the 90s when henna mania swept the US. Do you remember oh that? Oh my god. Listen, it's still yeah. I ha- I still see conversations about this. Um and I'm like, "Guys, have you not gotten the memo? <laughs> it's like still it's still a thing." Yeah. I mean, not with and I'm talking about like with white people, not yeah. like obviously there is a rich cultural history attached to henna, but not for white people. Okay. No, it's not. <laughs> right. And for a festival, especially. Mm-hmm. And so that's where I'm like, I'm just saying like, we can't take other people's like cultural and spiritual traditions and turn them into like hot outfit looks. Yeah. We got to see sexy fashion looks. Exactly. Yes, exactly. <laughs> you know, something to really like shock the airwaves. Um, and so Gwen Stefani, you know, this was that time period Gwen Stefani was doing, you know, I'm just a girl. Um, and Madonna, when she was going through her new age exploration oh my gosh. period, remember that? forget? Yeah. Yeah. And it simmered down for a while. Um, but then it came back with a vengeance with the popularization of Slumdog Millionaire in 2008. Isn't it crazy? Yeah. So Lady Gaga, Selena Gomez, Kitty Perry, the Jenners, almost everyone. I mean, I would say, I would argue that probably almost any of the icons began wearing that the iconic bindi symbol. And in case you didn't realize it, bindis are religious symbols historically worn by women in South Asia, Southeast Asia, and China. And the bindi has many scriptural and societal meetings that are sacred and grounded in rich tradition. For example, in the Hindu culture, bindis are used to symbolize married women are and are a sign of good fortune. Uh-huh. And so activists fought tooth and nail to bring awareness to the appropriation. It was the same, basically they were on the same path as, you know, the Native American um, people that were trying to um, bring awareness to the headdresses right around that same time. And celebrities really just ignored the complaints for a really long time um, until finally the trend was squashed for the most part in the later half of the last decade. Um, and there are other appropriations um, and there will definitely be more, you know, there's some, you know, like the non-black people adopting cornrows that tends to happen at festivals. <sighs> yeah. Spring break, festivals, yep. anytime. So yeah. yeah, that's that's one that I think is cooling it too. But then I'll say that and then I'll be like scrolling through Instagram and see it. Yeah. I, I You do see that one. That one, I think, is one that needs a little bit more awareness. Um, and. It, yeah, <laughs> maybe they get maybe people call them out, you know, I don't know. Um, but yeah, we'll leave that one for another time. But that is definitely another issue. Mm-hmm. Um, so I just didn't want to cover every single appropriation, just some just a few of them. And so what's now you ask, Amanda? Um, well, many millennials are aging out of the festival scene. And Gen Z is taking over as they start to age into the festivities. So as of 2023, Gen Zers are reportedly 1.6 times, so nearly two times more likely to attend music festivals than millennials. And this swell has certainly been noted in the lineup that is clearly targeted towards the Zoomers. So with the shift comes in new trends and different values. So millennials really crawled and fucked up many times so that Gen Z could run in this space. Wow. And look back and, look back and be smug, you know, that they're not wearing the headdresses. 
Um, <laughs> I mean, I really do. I feel like a lot of even just like that, all this like conversation about appropriations for like 10 years, probably it, it pre-educated a lot of this, hopefully pre-educated a lot of, this, of the Gen Z crowd so that they can, you know, be more woke than um, the, the predecessors. So the lineup for the 2023 Coachella is considered historic. It was the most diverse since its inception, the Santiago Solutions Group reports. They say, since the festival's early years, 2023 is the first year in which all the headliners are diverse. Headlining this year are Frank Ocean, who's African-American and LGBTQ, Bad Bunny, who's Puerto Rican, and Blackpink, who's South Korean. Bad Bunny and Blackpink are also non-English dominant headliners, and Bad Bunny's music is primarily in Spanish, and Blackpink's music is in Korean and English. For reference, past headliners, really in like the millennial decades, have been Lady Gaga, Beyonce, The Weeknd, Radiohead, Calvin Harris, Eminem, Guns N' Roses, Kendrick Lamar, Aria Grande, Harry Stars, Styles. Uh, Billie Eilish, and more. This year's lineup of headliners is especially historic, given that Blackpink is Coachella's first ever Korean headliner, and Bad Bunny is the first Latino artist ever to headline in any major American music festival. Wow. It's pretty cool. Um, They also provided some analysis. This firm uh, provided some analysis and consumer statistics around the diversity of what they call superfans. Looking at how Gen Z versus millennials break down across other factors like race and LGBTQ status. So what they say is that Gen Z is not alone in its love for attending music festivals. Compared to white non-Hispanics, so white white folks, uh, Asian music fans are two times more likely than white non-Hispanic mu- music fans to attend music festivals, followed by Hispanics. Compared to other music fan segments, Asian millennial uh, Asian millennial music super fans have a significantly higher music festival attendance. They actually have a graph here, and millennial Asian music fans are like the highest um, has the highest percent of the all the demographics. Wow! Yeah, it's it's kind of crazy. So. Um, uh, they are almost one in four. There's uh, with almost one in four attending a music festival in the last year. So music fans who are uh, Asian and Hispanic are also much more likely than white, white non-Hispanic music fans to consume music on YouTube, Spotify, and Apple Music. So considering this year's diverse lineup with Hispanic, Asian, and African American headliners, it's likely that the fans who share the same culture or heritage as the headliners will flock to this year's Coachella Festival. I think that's a really um, huge and incredible shift and actual recognition to the the people actually that are, that come to the festivals and you know and and appealing to an even more diverse audience. Yeah, it's really I mean, I think that's that's what we need, right? That's how we keep the headdresses and the mm-hmm. bindis out of the festival <laughs> and we get a more diverse lineup because exactly. I I read an article a couple months ago that was basically like, why do so many of the festival lineups look exactly the same this year? Um, And there are some bands that have been continuing to play the festival circuit who like, I would say Gen Z is probably not really into their behavior. Like I think of like, for example, the Red Hot Chili Peppers, you know, there's been more and more conversation about like, I don't know, just really 
really bad behavior Co- when it controversial comes to yeah, behavior. When it yeah, comes exactly. to girls and women, right? Yeah, Definitely uh-huh. some predatory behavior there. And I feel like Gen Z is like, yeah, we don't we don't put up with that shit. I love that. I love that too. And so Just my hope that. is that we're going to continue to see this this shift. Mm-hmm. You know. Yeah, I'm actually be really curious what will happen next year because next year will mean you know it, it'll be whatever the reflection of what happened this year with such a completely different lineup and if they're going to continue down that path because it's all about the money you know that's what they're doing is they're following the money mm-hmm, mm-hmm. you know and Coachella came and went and they they did sell out finally on their first weekend but they did not sell out right away. And they did not sell out right away in the second either. I don't even know if they sold out. That's so interesting, too, you know, because like then meanwhile, people are like losing their minds over getting Taylor Swift tickets. Right. So it's not like people aren't interested in going to shows. They yeah. are, but they want them to align with their interests and their mm-hmm. values. And, you know, I, I went on to Twitter, the Twitter, this Twitter space to hear what people were saying. And they were buzzing all about the fact that, that the Coachella did not sell out right away because usually it sells out in a matter of days mm-hmm. um and they were saying it's a lot of it said it was the lineup um and then a lot of others were saying that it's the prices they're just too high and inflation was causing cash flow issues for like any sort of prospective festival goers general passes this year were about 540 dollars, <sighs> which actually is a little bit less than the year prior Interesting. I mean, when you see that happening, Mm -hmm. especially in a year where like just about everything else is more expensive, Mm -hmm. you know? Wow. Mm -hmm. Yeah, VIP tickets are over a thousand dollars. I mean, it's it's it is a a big expenditure of money to go to these these festivals. Yeah. So it would make sense that people have a tighter budget. Mm-hmm. Um, so yeah, who I, I'm not sure, except they don't have a tighter budget when, when it comes to Taylor Swift. I know when I was <laughs> I, just every time I read about the amount of money people sent spent on Taylor Swift tickets, I get really anxious <laughs> for them, you know, yeah. uh, I'm like, uh, did you, how did you do this? Like where, uh, <laughs> Why you are you know, paying so much money? Yeah, I know, I know. I think for me, like, I, I mean, I'm not like a, ta- I'm not an, I'm not anti Taylor Swift. I'm just not a Taylor Swift fan. Uh, I would, it would, if I spent that much money on concert tickets, it would put this level of pressure on the event for me. Like, I, you know, I'm not as embarrassed to admit I really want to see this last Madonna tour because I think it's going to be the last one. And Dustin and I were looking at tickets, and I was just like, I, I can't spend that money. Because it's never going to meet my expectations, you know. Yeah, but I, I still mean, might go. Who knows? I mean, you got you got to get the tickets. You got to get the multiple looks. Yeah, you got to get the multiple looks. You got to pay for transportation. <laughs> yeah, lodging. You know the luxury glamping. I just feel like you probably need a lot of like high end like aromatherapy body wipes. <laughs> you got to get your bindi. You got a really nice bindi. You need like electrolytes. <laughs> You know, like those packets. Um, I just um, bought a box of them to take to Japan because you get dehydrated, you, you know? Yep. Once again, why you don't, maybe you want to go to Coachella with me because I'll be like dragging one of those like carry on suitcases full <laughs> of like band aids, especially the blister ones and like, Ugh. you know, electrolytes and, uh, you know, body wipes, face wipes, you know, oh, lotions, sunscreen. I'll just be underneath your giant 
a hat <laughs> looking for shade. And it was so terrible to me. <laughs> yeah, all this sounds terrible to me. Um, well, actually, speaking of that, um, I, what I'm sure you're super curious because you know Coachella did come and go. Um, what were the folks wearing? Yeah, I'm curious because I'm going to tell you, I'm interested to hear how you're going to describe it. Because when I was looking at photos, I couldn't come up with like a story. It seemed a lot more, I don't know, it just seemed different than it has in the past. You know, I'm sure, sure many of these garments will never be worn again, but it it had a different, I don't know, vibe to it this year. Well, a lot of it, there's a lot of crochet core. Yeah, a lot of like mesh and crochet, which makes sense because you're in the middle of the the desert. Finally, the Gen Z has learned from the millennials that black <laughs> suede is not what you wear to <laughs> festival. <laughs> well, there was a lot of western. There yeah, was a lot that's of true. cowboy boots. A lot of iterations of different like western looks or western hybrids. There's a lot of '90s and a lot of '70s. So much '90s. That's mm-hmm. what I saw. I saw a lot of like oversized uh sort of like um the parachute pants yeah parachute skirts yes, yes. exactly very Huge. very of like the late 90s to me mm-hmm. saw a lot of that with rave like outfits tops. you mean yeah yeah it just when, circles all the way back to the pinterest right so it means we need to get those rocket dog shoes of the 1999 right. 2000 era back so yep. i can buy them um very practical for i mean definitely wore a pair of rocket dogs to that one rave i went to <laughs> <laughs> and I definitely wore a parachute maxi skirt with all the compartments. Oh, God, those were so good. Yeah, bring them back. I'm ready. Um, I saw a lot of that at the photo in the photos I was looking. But then, yeah, like Western. A lot of West. Well, and so the, the, that cut article that I referenced earlier, um, the, uh, uh, the editor reports, this is what she says. Um, As the weekend was wrapping up, so was the festival fashion. The common denominator? Comfortable kicks, cowboy boots, and what I believe the biggest trend of the season will be, mid-maxi skirts. And I didn't notice as much cultural appropriation happening, thank goodness, and there was not a single feather headdress in sight. Maybe because <laughs> Vanessa Hudgens skipped this year. And I, <laughs> and I also noticed less festival style, aka buying looks just for Coachella. The yeah, environment. Thanks you. What I like, I what I can pull out of here is that mid maxi skirt. And remember, I did that um, that uh, that episode on the uh, the 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 recession indicator trends. Mm-hmm. And usually, when there's a recession that's starting to happen, people wear longer and longer skirts. Yep. Well, I feel like this is an indicator. I think so too. I have been seeing denim maxis. Of the like deconstructed variety of the late '90s, often with the frayed hem, mm-hmm. everywhere. Not really. Okay, let's preface that. Not IRL, but to be fair, I don't go a lot of places IRL right now because I work all the time, and I like no one's been wearing them at the grocery store yet. But I have seen them all over the internets. You know, mm-hmm. like this is like coming hard. I mean, really, it's the best thing to wear for a festival. Although I don't know how you hike that thing up in the porta potty, but oh, you know that's a drawback to, to as as a, a diehard for the maxi skirt. I can tell you there are drawbacks to maxi skirt life. I mean, and those that is one and jumpsuits. Jumpsuits at a inside of a porta potty is probably one of the worst things you could ever experience. As <laughs> I a guess woman. it's good that jumpsuits and and like rompers aren't quite the thing. But man, if you went back to like two thousand, like I don't know, twelve. Oof. 
the lines for Coachella must have been so long with everybody having to get basically <laughs> undressed to use the bathroom. <laughs> like leaving, you have to leave the headdress with your friend. Because you, yeah, yeah. You, you yeah. gotta, you don't want it to fall off while you're in there getting yeah. undressed. Yeah. Um, <laughs> yeah, getting completely naked just to pee. Yeah. I mean, listen, everyone, I may not have gone to a lot of festivals, but I've certainly gone to a lot of bars and shows with really disgusting bathrooms. And I too have basically undressed myself. That's awful. In the romper. I was big into rompers, big time romper lover. And I'd be in there like basically undressed to pee. I feel like there's a solution that needs to happen for this, where there's like a special closure that can be used so that we no longer have to take all of our clothes off. <laughs> It'd have to be like a big like Velcro thing that you would just like open up. Yeah. But I don't, it sounds risky. Like it sounds right, the- like you like could op- open it up on an inopportune time. <laughs> It's just like, I don't need more sources of anxiety. I don't know about you. <laughs> like you're, you're reaching for like the bottom shelf at the grocery store and your entire romper opens and exposes your it's butt. It's like, <laughs> with the sound of a Velcro opening and just a panic. It's, it sounds like diapers. It sounds like you're wearing a diaper. Just, just a lot happening. Uh, well, that's all I have um, on festivals for right now. Well, I, I love this. Uh, I, I think it was just what I yeah. needed to hear. I needed to know why it was okay that I didn't yep. go to any festivals this year. Um, would love to hear from all of you. You know, we're going to be taking a few weeks off here because, as we mentioned in the last episode, Kim is is on to the most perfect mm-hmm. state in the mm-hmm. union, Wisconsin. And I'm going to be going to Japan uh, later this week. So we will be off for a few weeks. And hopefully when I'm back, our first thing is going to be Talking about the new trends I see in Japan, because uh, it's spring now, and I think we're going to be seeing a lot of different stuff. In fact, I was just looking at a bunch of blogs this morning to get myself pumped, and I was seeing a lot of cargo maxi skirts as well there. Okay. Yeah. This is this is it, you guys. The, the, the indicator trends are taking over the world. Oh, yeah, totally. You know what I wanted to tell you? I mean, I think I already told you this, Kim, but I want to tell all of you is that a few weeks ago I was thrifting in San Antonio and there were a bunch of Japanese guys there sourcing stuff to you know, ship back to Japan to sell. And I am not kidding you, Kim, when I say that they took every single pair of khaki cargo shorts off the rack and bought them. No kidding. Like such boomer core. Mm-hmm. And Dustin and I were watching them pay because we were like fascinated. Dustin was like, you should go talk to them. And I was like, no, <laughs> I am not going to do that. Um, but what would you say? I, what would you even say? I don't Because I think <laughs> Dustin was like, I was like, oh, those guys are Japanese. I recognize what they're saying. Like, I understand some of the words they're saying, you know, and he was like, you should just go talk to them. Like, you know, wow them with your Japanese. And it's like, no, I'm definitely not going to do that. It's embarrassing. But uh, we were watching with just like fascination about what they picked and what they put back. And it was just so boomer core, like totally sweatshirts with like cardinals on them and oh, cargo yes. shorts and lots of like polo shirts. And it was it was great, actually. It was like so different than like, say, what Dustin and I are looking for in a thrift store. Um, it was I don't know. I just it was fascinating. Um, and just so many khaki cargo shorts which is like it must have been a gold mine yeah yeah because this is the stuff that a lot of people who are thrifting are like not interested mm-hmm. in yeah they're like ew yes they, they still have a stigma i mean granted you know we did get accosted by a lot of people wearing cargo khaki shorts for a really long time and they weren't the best 
the best folks I've met, you know, so. Listen, I have to tell you all that my dad has been known to wear khaki cargo shorts through the winter in Oregon. He's like, his legs don't get cold. He's one of those guys. You know, I I feel like those guys always, we have them in high school. there's There's a few, you know, brave soldiers that always wear shorts. So they always wear like... You know, those uh, those Umbro shorts. Yeah. You're, oh, and those are like, you might as well be wearing a piece yeah. of paper. <laughs> They're not keeping anything warm. <laughs> yep. <laughs> yep. Um, yeah. So anyway, uh, I guess that's all we have for now. <laughs> and we'll talk to you all in a few weeks. And maybe by then we'll both be wearing cargo shorts yeah, too. Go. I don't know. <sighs> all right, everybody. I'll talk to you in a few okay, weeks. Bye-bye. Bye. Bye.